So right here, right now, I acknowledge that presence of life, that one source that is creating everything. It is unlimited. And I know that because it is unlimited and it is creating all there is, that that is the true nature of my being. I am unlimited. And I am one with everything that is created, and I know that that is the truth of everyone and everything. And I see this expression of unlimitedness and diversity throughout all life in this world, even in the outer reaches of space. The unlimited variety of colors, shapes, organisms, of people and places. And because of this diversity and the unique variety, I am blessed blessed by the way in which spirit is living and breathing and moving through each and every expression, that I am surrounded wherever I go by God, informing me, teaching me, showing me all that I need, providing me with all that I need. And I'm so grateful for this, for this diversity that fills my senses with joy and awe and beauty. And I'm grateful for the oneness that I share with all life, for that brotherhood and sisterhood, for that humanity and that love that is God as it spills from me onto life, that givingness of spirit reaches out through the many hands to give that gift of love and support. And so I give great thanks for this, for the way in God shows up. And I release this truth into the law, knowing it is already made manifest right here and now. And so it is. So I'm going to start today's talk with a heresy. By the way, you're getting two talks today, two different subjects, okay? Two for the price of one. It's a deal. It's a bargain. Buy one, get one free. Let me start with a heresy. Got your tar and feathers ready? Okay. We don't need diversity here. Take a breath. We don't need diversity here. 
Take a breath. We don't need more volunteers. We don't need more people coming in. We don't need more money. Why? Yes, and the operative word there is need. When we are operating out of need, you ever meet a needy person? Uh huh. You want to get close to them, right? Yeah. Some of us do. That's called codependence. When we believe in need, see, we create from, we don't create our desires, we create from the level of our consciousness. And if our consciousness is in need, we just manufacture more need. We manifest more need. So we have to shift our consciousness to where we recognize we don't need this. Now, why am I saying this? I'm going to share something that happened in our community, and I'm going to share it. And I, I don't know who, who said what I'm going to talk about them saying. And it's not here to blame that person or shame that person or make them wrong in any way. I know their intention was good. So I want to preface it by saying that, okay? Take a breath. Everybody's like, oh my God, what did I do? Recently, as you know, we had a, a young African-American woman who was attending church here along with her wife and their two kids. And somebody walked up to that person and said, I'm so glad you're here. We need to blacken up the place. We need to blacken up the place. Take a breath. Remember, this is not to make that person wrong, not to judge. Okay. I, I don't know about you, but I have open mouth and inserted both feet simultaneously, okay. thinking that I was doing the right thing. So take a breath. When we focus on diversity as a need here or anywhere, we push away the very people we want. Just like a salesperson who needs a sale and you walk in, right? You feel pushed away by that person. Because they're not seeing you as you, they're seeing you as the money they need to pay the rent, buy the food, have the vacation, whatever it is. Okay? So we don't need diversity, we welcome diversity. We welcome more people, we welcome more volunteers, we welcome more money, but we don't need that. If every person who walks in here for the first or second time, we have somebody who's looking at them going, ooh, a potential volunteer, or ooh, a potential source of more money. Okay? We're not seeing the person who's walking in as a person, right? Okay. If we try to create a community which looks a certain way, See, we can't make diversity happen, can we? We can't make diversity happen. We can't go out there and say, okay, I want two of those and three of those, and I'll take uh, six of that kind over here, and and let's bring them all into the community. Because then it's never about the person, right? It's about filling quotas. And most minorities have already been, had too much filling quotas, right? Too much tokens. Too much being marginalized. This is a place where a person comes to feel and to recognize their spirit in form. That's it. Regardless of the outer, regardless of what they wear, how they dress, what their skin color is, who they love, what body they're in, whatever, this is a place where a person wants to come and just be held as a spiritual being and be known as that. One of the most powerful 
things that I ever read in my, in my work as a minister was that we are not here to lead people to our doors. We are here to lead people to their own souls. I'm not here to lead people to our doors. I'm here to lead people to their own souls, myself included. And so when we're working with that, we're not outlining to the universe. Outlining is where not only do I tell the universe what, my good, what good I want, but what it has to look like and how it has to come, right? I want to have a relationship with that person there. And she's the only one or he's the only one who will bring me fulfillment. That one. God gave me a relationship with fill in the blank. Okay? And the universe says, hey, you know, I've got a wonderful, loving relationship with that person, but would you like a loving, wonderful relationship? No, it has to be with that person. That's called outlining. And so many of us oftentimes hold our good away by it has to show up exactly the way I want it to to look. Instead of saying, okay, this is the nature of the good that I want. Spirit, color, fill in the blanks. Show me. That's a place of where we trust spirit. So that's what, take a breath again about diversity. As somebody already said, we already are diverse. You've noticed that there's no other you here, right? Look around. Is there anybody, is, are you here also besides where you're sitting? No, you're not. Each of us is a diversity. We're actually all diversities within ourselves, right? Yeah. Hey, David, you need to lose the weight. No, I'd rather eat that pastry. Thank you very much. That's a diversity. Okay? We're here to both experience and express inclusion and welcoming. We're here to be a place that allows people in because we recognize that each person who comes in is spirit. We're here to support each of us in healing the internal and the external sense or belief in experience of separation that we all carry within us. So it's not about being different. We are all unique, and yet we are all one. Each of us is unique. Have you noticed? And yet, we are all one. So we are all welcome here because nothing and no one is outside the infinite one. And so that's why I wanted to talk about diversity. I wanted to to get us to move past the idea of need because sometimes that can be, you know, we get social pressure and always should look this way and we should have this many of, of that kind of people and stuff like that. And to let that go. See, when we're leading people to their souls, when we're, when, we're, when we're doing what it is that we are really meant to do, which is just being loved, right? The people who will resonate with that will show up. The people who will resonate with that will show up. And it won't matter what their color is, what their, who they love is, what their nationality is. It resonates. It's a heart resonance with love. Yesterday we were in a, in a visioning group, and, and, and one of the people said, had this, this thing, I want us to be like a, a destination point, a, a hub on, off of I-5. And I said, we are that in consciousness. We are on the I-5 of consciousness. We are a destination point. We are a place where people will feel that in their souls and resonate with that and say, i got to go find out what the heck that's about. And all, all we have to do is make it welcome and be doing our work, be doing our practice of loving who we are. So are we good with that? Take a breath. We're going to shift gears. I want to talk about another story. 
I'm going to start with a reading from uh, Richard Bach's book, Illusions. Once there lived a village of people, of creatures, along the bottom of a great crystal river. The current of the river swept silently over them all, young and old, rich and poor, good and evil, the current going its own way, knowing only its own crystal self. Each creature, in its own manner, clung tightly to the twigs and rocks at the river bottom, for clinging was their way of life. And resisting the current was what each had learned from birth. Anybody relate? But one creature said at last, I'm tired of clinging. Though I can't see it with my eyes, I trust that the current knows where it's going. I'm going to let go and let it take me where it will. Clinging, I shall die of boredom. The other creatures laughed and said, Fool, let go when that current that you worship will throw you tumbled and smashed across the rocks and you shall die quicker than boredom. But the one creature heeded the knot and taking a breath did let go. And at once was tumbled and smashed against the rocks by the current. That's the end of the story. No, it's not. In time, as the creature refused to cling again, the current lifted him free from the bottom, and he was bruised and hurt no more. And the creatures downstream who saw him passing, over, passing by, to whom he was a stranger, cried, See, a miracle, a creature like ourselves, yet he flies. See the Messiah come to save us all. And the one carried in the current said, I am no more Messiah than you, the river delights to lift us free if only we dare let go. Our true work is this voyage, this adventure. But they cried the more, Savior, all the while clinging to the rocks. And when they looked again, he was gone. And they were left alone, making legends of a Savior. Take a breath. This week in the Christian calendar is about both the made-up legends and the letting go. And I want to talk about it because a lot of us have had those legends, these stories, especially this week's stories, kind of thrown in our faces and used to beat us up and, and impose guilt on us. Anybody besides me relate? I grew up Catholic, okay? So, yeah. You know, as an altar boy, Stations of the Cross, every Good Friday for several years, you know? And then he was beat up this way, and then he was tortured that way, and then, you know. But if we bring this thing that we want to sometimes just, I mean, a lot of, whole lot of no-thought people I know just, it's like, ah, I just want to ignore that. Okay? But whatever we put off and ignore still has power for us until we can bring it into the light and actually look at it from a different context. Yes? Okay. So I want to play with that this, tonight, today a little bit. So we can start to heal and perhaps even gain a deeper understanding of the essence that's represented in this week's stories. It's an essence and an invitation that lives within each one of us. Each of us has this essence and this invitation. Philip Simmons in his book, I love the title of this book, Learning to Fall, the Blessings of an Imperfect Life. Learning to Fall, the Blessings 
of an imperfect life. He says, we all have within us this capacity for wonder, this ability to break the bonds of ordinary awareness and sense that though our lives are fleeting and transitory, we are part of something larger, eternal, and unchanging. Breathe that in. We are part of something larger. It's not just about our one minute to 120 years on the planet. We are part of something that's larger than that. The essence of this week's stories are the welcoming, the betrayal, and the death of the spiritual teacher Yeshua, also known as Jesus. Yeshua was his actual Hebrew name. And it echoes the Jewish tradition of the scapegoat. And if you know the scapegoat, is, the scapegoat is the one that was designated each year during the season of atonement to have all the sins of the people placed on the scapegoat. By The, the high priest would lay his hands on it. The, the scapegoat would be beaten with canes and thorns and stuff like that and then driven out in the desert to die and take all the people's sins with them. Now, that's a great way to not be accountable for your own actions, right? Dump it on the sheep. Dump it on the lamb. The goat. And send it out. And so in a way, this Jesus story echoes that. Repeats that. So we start this week with Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, which is the high point of his, of his human ministry, Right? He's on top of the world. He's in the big city. He's come to L.A. or New York or Paris or London or wherever. He's come to the big city. Because he's been a preacher out in the, in the hinterlands up until now, right? He's a Galilean. And so he hits the big city, and he's, you know, people are throwing their, their, their robes down in front of him. They're throwing branches. It doesn't say palm branches in all the Gospels, by the way. It just says they broke off branches and laid them down in front of him as he rides in on a colt or an ass, depending on which uh, version of the Gospel you're reading. He's at the high point. And it ends this week with being betrayed by the very people that, that you know, followed him, by his own fellow teachers, rabbis, scribes, Pharisees, and eventually by all of his own disciples. All of them. Right? Take a breath. You ever feel betrayed by everybody around you? No, some have. And finally, he even feels betrayed by his own human nature. And the stories from this week occupy somewhere between 25 to 40% of all the four of the Gospels. 25 to 40% of the Gospels are about one week in Jesus' life. And, and as uh, Bishop Shelby Spong points out, it's this sort of almost a sadomasochistic revelry in the hour-by-hour, blow-by-blow description of the torture and death is what kind of culminates that. So, take a breath with me. We're not going to stay in this energy. If you read the Gospel writers, you can feel the anger and the outrage about this betrayal palpably within each of the Gospels. And I, I read this and I wonder more, is it all about, oh, Jesus died for the sins of people 2,000 years down the road? Can you imagine that? Jesus sitting there dying going, I'm doing this because Billy hit his sister in, in 1987. Okay, no. 
But they're mad at the people who betrayed him. They're mad at the people who did this. And they want to make it really clear this is what they all did. So we're not, it's not about our sins. It's about the sins of those particular people. What if that was the case? So rather than focusing on their anger and all this stuff, let's take a little deeper look. How many of you have ever walked a labyrinth? Okay. If you've walked a labyrinth, you know that there's a, you, you walk into a labyrinth and, and your, your intention is to get to the center. Okay. And as you walk in, in most labyrinths, the center is like almost right in front of you. It looks like, oh my God, all I got to do is take a few steps, I'm right there. But if you follow the path, it takes you all around, right? You're wandering around, you're turning, you're twisting, all sorts of new things, and finally you come there, and it's like you're on this little twist, and you can see the center, it's right there, and you come there, and you're going to enter the center, and oh no, it takes you clear out to the far end of the periphery of the whole labyrinth, right? That's a sense of betrayal. I'm almost to my good, I'm almost there, I've almost got it, ooh, what am I doing way out here? And yet, if you follow that, where does it take you? Right to the center. It does a big spin around, and in most labyrinths, comes right back into center. Jesus' whole life mission was to demonstrate the Father and I are one. To demonstrate that. To manifest that. To walk that talk. Even beyond death. And so we see him this week. He's kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a place that, that is, the name is uh, oil press. It was an olive uh, uh, field, not field, what do you call it? Orchard, thank you. Uh, it was an olive orchard, and it was named after the garlic press, How, or the uh, olive press. How many of you have felt pressed in your lives? Jesus felt pressed. Trust me, this wasn't an accident. This is symbolically written. All of it is symbology. So he's kneeling there. Human nature, which is represented by the three guys that he took with him, is doing what? It's asleep. Can't stay awake. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so that human nature, how many of you have ever been in a place where you're being really challenged and and you're hearing something that's really wonderful and you're just nodding off? I have. (laughs) Somebody raised somebody else's hand there for them. (laughs) It's always awkward when you have your spouse sitting next to you or somebody who knows you well. And we nod off. And that's our human nature. It's like, I don't want to face my brilliance. I don't want to face this truth of me. Let me sleep instead. Meanwhile, Jesus goes up in the garden, up into a higher consciousness, to a higher place, to transcend his own human nature. His nature that fears and believes in the finality of death. Death was the big thing in those days, right? It was the big, you know, it was the big fear. So he confronts, while he's up there, the last vestiges of his own beliefs, his own doubts. And it says that he's sweating blood and asking for this thing to be taken away from him. Right? In other words, he's scared spitless. Take a breath. Now, most of what we were taught about Jesus, oh, he, was, he knew he was God from the moment he was born. Nothing bothered him, nothing. No! This is a guy dealing with his own stuff. He believes it, he knows it, but it's a whole lot different when, okay, remember Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade? Where he's got to step out on to that, what looks like a total drop of a chasm. He's got this map, which has worked so far. It's guided him without error so far, but all of a sudden he's sitting there looking down at this bottomless canyon, 
And he's got to take that step trusting. And any of us would be a little nervous about that step, right? Okay. We all come to points in our lives where we have to take a step on faith. We have to step out of faith. And so that's what he was doing in the ultimate place where he was challenged about his faith, his belief. He finally says one of the most beautiful things. He takes a deep breath and he lets go like the creature on the rocks. And he says, not my will, but thine. That, that thing that is greater than us be done. And he gets tumbled and smashed on the rocks. But that's not the end of the story. You have to come back next week for the end of the story. <laughs> Don't you like those to-be-continueds? Our work is to trust that spirit, to trust that current, to trust that that wants to lift us up. And yes, when we first let go, our previous consciousness shows up as the tumbling and the smashing on the rocks. Because when the creature lets go, he's already at the bottom, right? That's where he's lived his life, is at the bottom. And the first thing he encounters is a little more of the bottom. But the nature of the current, the nature of the spirit within us is to lift us up. Jesus said, I didn't say I have, I've come here that you can suffer and, and, and get hurt and, and die and have a miserable life. That's not what he said, right? I mean, some of the churches kind of teach that, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, I have come here that you may have life and have it more abundantly. A good life. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All that stuff. That's the purpose of our lives. And so if we've been clinging to the rocks in the bottom, the first thing when we let go we're going to encounter is the rocks around us that we've been clinging to. But we will be, if we keep on, what it says in the story is, the creature refused to cling again. Trusted the current to lift him up. So this week, I want to invite us to do three things. Number one is ask your inner wisdom, where am I clinging to a rock? Where in my life right now, because we're all doing it, it could be a, lie, a, a rock of I'm not good enough and i got lots of proof to show you that. It could be a rock of I'm unlovable, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too, not enough this, I'm too much that. There's not enough money. I shouldn't because somebody will disapprove of me. We have all these rocks that we're clinging to. Well, I do, I don't know about you. You guys may have all let go of your rocks already, but... But just humor me and play along with me for a moment so I don't feel so alone. And ask your inner wisdom, where am I clinging to a rock and where is it time to let go of that rock and trust the current? Where in my life am I ready to do that? That's number one. Number two, I'm going to go back to our our, (laughs) uh, diversity. I was going to say our heresy talk, my diversity talk. And observe where you are and where you aren't seeing good in everyone, seeing God within everyone. Just notice, don't beat yourself up, but just start to pay attention. Oh, I'm looking at that person. Oh, I heard that judgment just go through. Oh, I looked at that person and, oh, I think they're wonderful because of their outer appearance. Oh, I looked at that person, I think they're terrible because of their outer appearance. Where am I not seeing the God within? So just pay attention to that. Again, no self-flagellation. You don't have to, you know, be a Roman soldier and spit in your face and beat you up and crown yourself with thorns, okay? Don't do that. Got it? Okay. And then number three, 
back to the letting go on the rock. Take a deep breath and be willing to let go. You don't even have to know what that looks like. Just be willing to let go. Say to your inner self, your inner wisdom self, I'm willing to let go of that rock. I'm willing to be lifted up in consciousness. Not my will, but thine. This deep, infinite love, wisdom, brilliance that wants to be expressing itself through us, that will be done. Michael Beckwith says that when we surrender, we don't surrender as in giving up. We surrender into excellence. We surrender into being lifted up, not taken down. And so I invite you this week to practice that surrender, practice that letting go. Because when we surrender, it allows the current to lift us beyond pain and suffering. So that's our three practices this week. Just in terms of diversity, notice where you are and aren't seeing God in everyone. Just pay attention. Number two, ask your inner wisdom, where am I clinging to a rock? And number three, be willing to let go. Are you willing to to play with that this week? I am. Great. Thank you. I'm going to close with a quote from Richard Rohr, who says that death, whether one of the many deaths to the false self, and we all on our spiritual path experience deaths to the false self, yes? That's the rocks we've been clinging to. That's the false self. That's the false beliefs. Death, whether one of the many deaths to the false self or our final physical dying, is simply returning to our spacious ground of being, to our foundation in love. Life doesn't truly end. It simply changes form and continues evolving into ever new shapes and ever new beauty. As we let go, As we let go of the conditioning that has told us, taught us, cling to this rock, cling to this belief system, and we start to let go, we move into this expansive ground of our being, and we move into and discover the foundation of love that is always all around us and within us. So I invite you to speak to play with that. Let's move into prayer. Taking a deep breath. I recognize that there is this presence, this one presence, this infinite presence. It is all there is nothing and no one is outside of it. And it is love, a capital L love, beyond our capacity to even understand. We just feel as much of it as we can, as much of it as we can open up to, and yet it is more than that. There's one infinite love. There's one life, always eternal, constantly changing form, and yet always the life eternal. There is this wisdom, this light, this brilliance. It is present in through and as each and every one of us. Because it is present in through and as all of the universe because it is the nature of this infinite oneness. And so recognizing that that oneness that is infinite, that is all there is, because that is, then each of us must be one of that. There is no place outside of that to be. No one and nothing is outside of that one. And I know that means that the person who is sitting in your chair, in your sock, wearing your socks, is already completely, totally one of this infinite love, this infinite wisdom, this infinite, lavish, abundant good, this life that is more abundant. We are already one of that. Each of us is. 
And so I speak my word that this week we just simply wake up to that more fully. That we let go of rocks. We kick out the prison bars of the prisoners of our consciousness that have held us in place. And we step out into the light, into the love, into the joy that is life and that we are. We simply say yes. And I'm grateful for the spirit that moves through us all, for this life more abundant that is always finding new ways, new and more wonderful ways to express. And in that sense of gratitude, I release this word spoken and let it move into what's known as the law, that process, that that aspect of the universe that knows how to manifest it, that as we say yes, it knows how to manifest that yes into greater love, into greater joy, into greater wholeness for each and every one of us. I release it. I let it go. I don't have to make it happen. I just make it welcome because it is already so. And we simply remind ourselves of that by saying together, and so it is. So in the teen room today, we were focused on inclusivity as well as diversity. And we talked about that. The difference between diversity and inclusivity is that diversity is the presence of uniqueness and inclusivity is accepting it into your life. So we fo- we played a game. We played a little game called uh, if you really knew me, then whatever. So basically, we would say, if you really knew me, then you would say something about yourself. And it's basically to focus on how similar we are, even though we are different. That we are both similar and different at the same time, and to build that inclusivity and build that acceptance of each other. So it's a good game to play anywhere you are.